have until the count of five. I happen to love the number five. It's a beautiful number, a glorious number. You got to the count of five. Welcome to the Got Till Five Wrestling Podcast. My name's Jesse Beds. Sorry I'm 10 minutes late, Max Kern. Uh, you're not 10 minutes late, you're 15 minutes late. You're 18 minutes late, actually. 18 minutes late. Well, if we're keeping track, I'm sorry, but I was watching um, a um, really good episode of Billy Connolly doing tracks in America. Which... That is not a reason to be late. That is a perfectly valid reason, as valid as anything else. And the reason I actually watched this is because it had a bit of wrestling in it. He went to El Paso, Texas, met a gay Mexican professional wrestler, and um, Billy Connolly said that's what the American dream is all about to him, is gay Mexican wrestlers living their dream, having a great career. And I agree with him, and it's inspired me to do this fantastic episode. Well, that was just flawless. What is this week's episode all about? <laughs> uh, this week's episode is um, a subject very near and dear to my heart. Um, something that um, keeps me um, moderately erect most days. It's um, the we're doing the top five darkest moments in professional wrestling. And when we say dark, we're not like ooh darker storylines. No, we're talking about the shit that happens outside the ring. Yeah, we're not talking about um, just before The Undertaker's music starts. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, isn't it? That was a that good, was a good joke. I, I thought of that. I thought of that like two hours ago, and I was like, "Let's save that." <laughs> he's, been, he's been waiting. Um, no, so yeah, we've uh, we've actually planned this as well because there's so many moments to talk about. We're not going to have crossovers like Jesse knows what I'm talking about. I know what he's talking about for once, and we're doing a five each. We're going old school on this episode. We're going long form. We uh, were supposed to have an interview for this episode, and um, to that person who we're interviewing. Um, I take this as a betrayal, and, <laughs> and he, he might he might still show up. You know, he said that I might still be able to show up, so he might be on this episode or he'll be on the next one. Just to let you all know, it's uh, Gary Ward, who's the promoter at WrestleGate Pro, um, great promotion up in the north of England. Their next show is Lion Spirit on May 18th at Rushcliffe Arena in Nottingham, where you can see that bastard pack live in action. So get your tickets at WrestleGate Pro now. Very good. And if he does come in, this is where we'll put the interview. If he doesn't next week cool nice but he's not here so let's talk about us yeah all right us um how are you how's your fortnight been it's it's been lovely so i feel like i'm a little bit cursed at the moment because at work every single podcast i've had scheduled this week at work has had some kind of emergency or cancellation and now today Uh, do ours another one so what is it with me that's why you had a borderline mental breakdown when i told you i was going to be 10 minutes late (laughs) not another one (laughs) not again um Nice, but, that's good. Um, we haven't. This is the first. You spent Easter weekend with me. That was nice, wasn't it? I did. That was a delight. We had a we had a lovely time together. We did. You. We had a day of day drinking on Friday, which killed me to the point where I couldn't really do anything until about four in the afternoon the following day. Oh, Jesse was useless. He got up, sat on the couch, watched a bit of Pokemon, and then didn't see him for six hours. Just went straight back <laughs> upstairs. I think you know what. The more I've been thinking about it, because I was really annoyed how you were fine. Because we drank and exactly the same. We drank the same amount, yeah. I reckon it was the sun, because it was, like, really, really hot. And you were wearing a hat all day, and I basically had borderline sunstroke mixed with a um, hangover. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I, I think that's fair. You were a very fragile boy. I had to take care of you a little bit. and then um, I did. But stupid- you came to a gig? Yeah, stupidly, you played a gig that evening, and I had to sit next to the PA system. And then, then, <laughs> then the the headache came in. The hangover headache came in. Then, yeah, I bet it I did. Like, Shut up, Jesse! Stop hitting that box. You're not big and you're not clever. <laughs> but didn't we play well? 
You did. It was. Um, I didn't say. Gig. I didn't say this to you at the time. But it was probably one of my favourite Hawthorne gigs I've been to. Ah, oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. Yeah. Not forced at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so yeah, it's been a while since we've done a proper um, five each episode. Yeah, because so we've no been quizzes. doing the, the quizzes and the five each. We've been bing bang out within fifty minutes. So uh, this is going to be a slog. This is going to be great. So um, I'm ready if you are. Let's hit that drop, baby. Bang. Oh. Kinky. Are you ready? Oh, hell yeah. You fans can stick it, brother. Who's your daddy, Montreal? Tell me he didn't just say that. Right. Um, there was that drop. May, may I go first? You may, actually, because I need to read up on my number five. So um, <laughs> off you go. <laughs> so, so just to, like, preface this, and you might be able to hear it in the episode. I don't know. I don't know if you will, but uh, I've written novels about each... I'm looking I, forward to being educated. I've been you. so invested in my top five that I wrote, like, articles on all of them. And uh, Jesse was like... Remember that, like, outline of the five people I was going to do? Yeah, that's, that's my notes. That's my notes. <laughs> it's just, like, surname of wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> and then dead. But, uh... It's all right. No, my number five, I sort of... I'm interested by it, but I haven't realised till this moment. I actually know very little about the ins and outs of it. So I found um, a Reddit... I will credit the person who posted this on Reddit when I get to my number five, but I'm reading... Um, how it all went down now. Yeah. So, um, I know, I know yeah, a lot about it, so I can help you out with that one. Um, and you're all going to enjoy do. this because you're more little fucks because our Chris Benoit episode is our most popular episode. So People love pain and suffering and death. You need to um, name this podcast something appropriate to draw in all the night owls that just live for pain. I think I will. Um, <laughs> I think I will. That's right. I was trying to think of a, a clever quip then, but nothing came to me, so I just went, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Sound like Lars Sullivan uh, chewing on yours. peanut butter. <laughs> You're as disabled as my number three. Um, okay, let's go. <laughs> That'll be funny later. <laughs> oh, it's funny now. <laughs> funny now. At number five, the top five darkest moments in wrestling history. Uh, number five, I wanted to start semi-dark and then we're just going to descend into chaos so okay, number yeah. five and we're going to keep this upbeat everyone like when we're laughing at stuff it's not because we're insensitive or horrible but i mean when real life horrible things happen it's obviously terrible but because they're happening in such a carny fake world it sort of makes them funny in a dark way i find anyway so yeah and it, and it would be too dense a content if we were you know, just very serious about this so uh please yeah, pepper exactly. with insensitive um politically incorrect jokes dressing at number I'm five, glad to. Brian Pillman's wife post-death interview. Now, ah. this is this is a nugget that like people may have forgotten because obviously they they, they don't promote that this interview happened. So, Brian Pillman, Pillman's death, Pillman's death is something the WWE really got away with, isn't it? Like, oh, yeah. compared to like other deaths and stuff, like Eddie dying, for example, died in a very very similar way to Brian Pillman. But I, I suppose it was Eddie was more of a sort of main event level star, like a mainstream star. But um, they died the exact same way. And it feels like Brian Pillman died. They did this interview that you're about to talk about. And then everyone just moved on. And that was it. Do you know what I mean? They did. They did. So uh, Brian Pillman died very suddenly um, of a heart issue. 
And it was uh, what pay-per-view, Jesse, that this happened? Uh, Coincident? Bad, in your house, Bad Blood, um, 1997. Bad with two Ds, mind, back so, then. Yeah, double bad. Um, <laughs> so Brian Pillman dies, and someone in the office goes, oh, this really sucks. We've got to do something for this. Like, nice video package? No, that won't do. That won't do at all. Wrestlers come out on stage? No, 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 no. What about, like, a 10 back? No, 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 no. What if we did a live satellite interview with his grieving widow barely 24 hours after her husband dies? That's it. That's the one we're going to do. It's a draw. So Vince... I'm watching. (laughs) Vince conducts this interview uh, doing his somber, sad voice, which just seems like the biggest farce I've ever seen. Um, it's a live satellite interview. She's on her couch. She's trying to hold it all in. She doesn't know where she is. Um, so he has this interview with Melanie Pillman. So Vince asks questions around, you know, the logical. How are you doing? And then he goes on saying, do you know what he died from yet? Autopsy hasn't been done. None of that's been done. And <laughs> Roll you, Paris. you idiot. <laughs> do, do you know what he died of yet? <laughs> And then, strangely, Vince brings up whether he she thinks drugs were involved due to, like, his profession and stuff. Yeah, right? It's like, you're his fucking boss. You should be keeping a tab on that shit. Yeah, as we'll get to in a minute. And um, But then, like, the clincher of this is he goes on to ask how she's going to raise her children when daddy's not there anymore. And I have a little clip just to uh, really pepper in how horrible this interview is. So uh, here's that clip. Melanie, how... Uh... How are the children taking this news, and and do they understand? Well, um, a four-year-old doesn't understand it. That's little Brian. Um, he he doesn't understand why Daddy's not coming home. But, um, Brittany understands, because, uh, she's my adopted child, and she's, she's the, um, biological child of my husband and another woman, and that woman killed herself. Two years ago so Brittany's uh, lost her mom and, and her dad biological and uh, you know she just screamed for about 15 minutes and um, <laughs> I don't know man. it's so hard so as you can hear from that clip she is she tries to hold together at the start but at that point that just breaks her and Vince is just you can see the it's dollar like signs he's, he's twisting the knife isn't he yeah. he's twisting the knife and then standing on it like you know that traditional American black and white footage of a man dancing on the top of um, like the Empire State Building or something mm-hmm. uh, Vince is doing that on the knife that he's just twisted <laughs> into um, into, into Melanie. her name yeah. what's her name Melanie Melanie Pillman's um, stomach yeah he's just like why would you ask that and like every question he asks is a very obvious not great Vince <laughs> not in the best mood right now mate I think he I don't know I mean obviously he was doing it from a point of view as this is like sick ratings this is going to be wicked but um, do you think there was an element of like he's like I we we need we could look really bad out of this so we need to come out smelling of roses so me asking these questions and raising awareness of um, drug abuse um, is going to like make WWF look amazing, right? And there was I that imagine, going on in yeah, his head as well. I, I imagine that was completely his logic. You know, he he's from our understanding of the brain of Vince McMahon. It is, you know, 
he does stuff that he thinks is great. And this is the problem with WE is that they, they capitalize on death so quickly. This was mm. 24 hours. Why not wait till the coroner report is done? You know, just why, why not wait for a couple of weeks? But they, they just want to do it. And it backfires so quickly, as I'm sure we're going to find out later on in this list of them jumping the gun before they know all the facts of tributing <laughs> someone when they die. But or sometimes not- facts trickle in halfway through a show and then um, all sorts oh, of no. shit goes down. <laughs> so this moment's not the darkest by any stretch of what we've got coming up on this list but like watching the video is super uncomfortable to watch and I just find it really horrible and just gross that they did this you know I agree um, yeah very insensitive and it, I'm trying to think of an example of like anyone else doing that right like um, who who's died unexpectedly like outside of wrestling like fucking Heath Ledger or something right yeah Imagine, like, Heath Ledger, and I'm sure he was probably booked to do some Batman interviews and stuff that day. If they just brought in, like, Heath Ledger's mum or something, like, to do the Batman interview. Do you know what I mean? It's the same thing. She's not a trained... She's not trained to deal with the press. She's not a trained actress or anything, and neither was Melanie Pillman. It's just... And obviously grieving. It's just a, such a horrible thing to do to someone. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. But uh, if you've never seen the video, it's very easy to find online. Just search uh, Brian Pillman... Melanie Pillman and it'll come up but uh, yeah horrible shit horrible let's continue shit. this train let's continue oh this train uh, Billy Connolly was on a train through that uh, American thing it was good um, so <laughs> <laughs> um, my number five is um, that it's known as Black Saturday mm. um, but um, on a broader scale it's essentially Vince taking WWF and um, taking over the territories, right? Is essentially yeah. Yeah, this is the... essentially the long and short of it. This is the day or like the big moment when it all came to fruition, but it was very much a slow thing in the making. Yeah, exactly. This was the death of the territories. Again, not a super dark moment in the grand scheme of things. No one dies from this. People lose jobs and, you know, all of that kind of stuff happens, but it's a definite dark moment in the history of wrestling for the how cool the territories were we, we we never had that again and we never will well what this is a fantastic example of is um like which is sort of a version of darkness is wwf's deceit or wwe's deceit and to things as silly as we always intended daniel bryan to main event wrestlemania 30 to um you know we won the war with wcw the monday night wars which just the way they tell it just isn't factual at all and no. this is a perfect example of that the way you watch a document it's like everyone loved wwf so we just wanted to you know take it to new um, new places everyone loved wwf when they saw and that just simply wasn't the case wwf to a lot of real wrestling fans was cartoony and over the top you know new york sort of big city um and they liked their wrestling a bit more real and gritty which is what a lot of the um, other territories were, which um, Vince McMahon took over. It was all money. And, and again, you know, when you look at Vince Sr. and him saying, you know, not to do that to Vince Jr., going against everything. And Vince Sr. was one of the good guys by the sounds of it. He understood yeah. the NWA and was part of it. And then, like, um, as it says in this um, article I've been reading, um, <clears throat> it's like, Vince Senior's body was like still warm <laughs> when Vince Junior started um, making moves and sort of um, taking over other territories. 
Yes, completely. Um, and and the the thing I find interesting about Black Saturday is like obviously Vince is so confident that like he Vern Gagne is out of business. You know, he's taken out every threat he could possibly make, but he just makes that that one one tiny mistake, one little mistake yeah. where he um, went to Jim Crockett, uh, which pr- he did shows all around like the Carolinas and stuff. And Crockett was trying to counter the WF's expansion because he didn't want it. He was like, you know, we've got to keep the NWA territories that McMahon hadn't done out of business yet. So um, Crockett had just bought out Championship Wrestling from Georgia uh, and bought the World Championship Wrestling program from McMahon for $1 million, uh, which was a lot of money back then, but it's just like peanuts to Vince now. Yeah, it's laughable now. Yeah, and he returned NWA program to TBS, and, he, and Vince was like, yeah, sure, you know, have your little NWA program, not an issue, I've got the rest of America. And as history will let us know, that promotion would become WCW. Uh, Turner bought the promotion from Crockett in 1988, and it almost put Vince McMahon out of business. Yeah, and that's why Vince is so was, was so insecure about um, Ted Turner and you know and that's all this from this Monday Night Wars you know him competing and like now all we get is these Monday Night Wars documentaries from WWE saying um, we won the war you know we beat Ted Turner we kicked him and we fucking spat on his grave and, uh, as if Ted gives a shit do you know what I mean he's yeah, like yeah. a multi-billionaire and he's just he's just like oh that didn't work just moves on and he's like making stupid money he couldn't give less of a shit and it's what Vince McMahon has almost built his whole identity on the fact that he quote unquote beat Ted Turner when it was just Ted Turner that just essentially got bored of wrestling, really, and said, oh, I don't want it on... Um... In fact, it wasn't even Ted, was it? He, um, it wasn't... Um, he basically sold his major shares of TBS, so he didn't even have a say in it. But he didn't care, because he was rich. And then it was other people that said, oh, let's take WCW off the air. WF didn't beat it. D- TBS just decided to get rid of WCW. That's what it comes down to, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, like... Ted has always jabbed McMahon and stuff. Um, back in, like, 84, um, this was when McMahon was, like, properly trying out his expansion. He wanted a second national cable outlet, and then that's where he could have his weekly program that he could grow and make a national deal out of. Um, but it was... The only one available was GCW, and that was with the WTBS. So if McMahon was able to get that time slot, he would control all nationally televised wrestling prom- in the whole United States, which is fucking huge. So he approached Turner with an offer to buy the Saturday night time slot and Turner just rejected him straight out, you know, and Turner just knew like, no, you're a fucking idiot. I'm not going to deal with you. Um, <laughs> Carney, Carney bitch, get out of here. <laughs> but, you know, it's McMahon, you know, he wasn't going to give up. So he found another way to secure the slot for the WF. Um, and he discovered that method shortly after he got rejected by, by Turner. So, um, yeah, he's just uh, a very sneaky man. Very sneaky, magiki. Um, I think this um, whole story, like Black Saturday and how Vince McMahon took over the territories, would make an amazing Netflix series. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Imagine dramatising it and just making this amazing Netflix series. Each episode is like a different territory getting fucked over. And each ep- and, like they get some real cunt to play Vince McMahon, and like each episode is a different territory, and... 
three quarters of the episode you're getting to know the people involved and getting to like them and seeing the shows they're putting on and then like the last 10 minutes of every episode without fairness is Vince coming in and metaphorically spunking over everything <laughs> and then we just <laughs> credits roll and we move on to the next episode I, I love the idea of not showing Vince as well like to keep on like Giovanni and Pokemon like the first that's season. a like, good idea you know, keep him in the shadows there's this yeah. like evil corporation man and then that's uh, awesome yeah no you can make a hell of a series off this and anyone that is more talented than us don't steal our idea no um, we're copyrighted this is recorded and proved it's may the summit what day is it second first second, second. may the second that's when we're saying it so if happens after that is us this will hold it up will. in court yeah you could do it all you could start with like vince being like the looking up to his dad but you know you could see the evil in his eyes and then dad dies and then he takes over territories and then you second season you go into the monday night wars oh you could do it all oh it'd be dope yeah, yeah um What's the latest on the Vince movie? Do you remember um, a year or two ago, a script got leaked of yes. a Vince McMahon film that was going to come out? Yeah, because Bradley Cooper was attached to it. That's um, right. It's called Pandemonium. And I think in the opening scene, he meets Linda McMahon at a strip club or something, which um, is played like, hard and loose with the facts, but yeah. it sounds, sounds like a romp. <laughs> it's a little, little dramatised, little dramatised, that one. So, um... We'll see, and the guy that wrote it is, um, I'm, I'm not discrediting or saying anything, but his credits, I think his number one credit, he's written four movies. Nice, and I've written. His, uh, his, his main one is the movie Underdog. Um, so, so there's potential for a talking dog to be Vince McMahon's assistant, which I would not rule out in the slightest. Is that what Underdog was? I don't know that. He, he was a superhero dog who saved, he was like Superman, but for dogs. Max, that sounds amazing. <laughs> why, are we, we're back, why have I not seen this? And why are we not back in this new film? <laughs> why didn't you tell me that last year when I could have actually put a whole year of work into getting this film made? Like, if you can, just type an underdog right now and just look at the, the coat. It's a beagle just flying around the planet. It's, it's, okay, just, it's gold. I'm it's doing gold. it right now. Underdog film. After a lab accident gives some extraordinary powers, including the ability to speak, a canine declares himself the protector of Capital City, and especially of a fetching spaniel named Polly Purebred. <laughs> uh, Underdog must save the day when evil scientist Simon Barrister and his giant henchmen hatch a plot to destroy Capital City. This looks absolute max. This is amazing. It's a Disney film. It's got some. It's got some dosh behind it, mate. It's... Is is this our new Santa slave for next year? Oh, I think it might be this just looks incredible I, there's pictures of them at the premiere the dog's there in his superhero costume at the movie premiere <laughs> <laughs> that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life uh, this is why we can't do dark episodes because it, it <laughs> people lost jobs Jesse <laughs> and their lives but, but well fuck it the dog will save them um, <laughs> okay. okay that's um, how so series the, one ends by the way <laughs> just flies in it's the crossover we knew we needed um okay your turn again number four number four um is a moment that the wf has done so very well at burying very very well i'm going to talk about the wwf steroid case you say they did well at burying it but they made a a whole storyline out of it uh, for wrestlemania 19 with hogan and vince that is actually my final line in this so uh we're on the we're on the same page but uh let me because i had to do a lot of research on this because pretty much it's always just been you testified against me against the federal government and then it's like something about steroids but 
I don't really fully understand what all of this was all about. <clears throat> yeah. Hulk Hogan in one of his promos said a gay like me instead of a guy like me. He did. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't correct himself. Didn't correct himself. Yeah, gay like me. Gay like me, brother. <laughs> uh, so basically, let, let me walk you through the WF steroid case and, and who the players are and what kind of happened. So back in 1993, Vince was charged by the US attorney for routinely obtaining anabolic steroids for his carny traveling circus. I don't think that was the official title on the arrest sheet. But, um, no, I was going to say, was I the judge? I was going on. <laughs> So basically, the reason this all came about is they employed a shady Pennsylvania doctor named Dr. George Zahorian. Zahorian? Zahorian. Who would would ensure regular shipments of juice to the. That's uh, that's steroids for you kids who aren't in the know. And he sent this stuff to the WWF headquarters. So if Vince got convicted of this, he would have faced eight years in federal prison. We all know he doesn't, so... Uh, he, would get... have, he would have ran prison, by the way. Oh, if God. Vince McMahon was in prison, everyone would have been his bitch, right? We would have had a wrestling prison show. <laughs> just, he would have, like, yeah, except he would have paid them... Instead of paying them in steroids like he did back then, he would have paid them in not raping you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think that's good currency. I will pay you, I will pay you ten no rapes. But if you don't, the genetic jackhammer <laughs> in your ass. Take, take it in your ass. <laughs> so stained um, like their ass, their ass cheeks are just stained with fake tan. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's part of the Kiss My Ass Club. Like whenever you come into prison, it's just Vince is there. Pucker up, yeah. kid. <laughs> oh, but he doesn't go to prison, and that doesn't happen. That's an alternate reality which we can explore in season <laughs> which three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So from eighty four to eighty nine, Zahorian was appointed the, as the, a the, the difficult third season. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, that's when we jumped the shark a little bit. Little bit. <laughs> so the doctor was appointed and hired as a I'm doing air quotes ringside physician for live wrestling matches in Pennsylvania. Um, so the Justice Department investigators would later uncover documentation indicating that Zahorian sold steroids and drugs to forty three pro wrestlers, thirty seven of whom were employed by WE at the time, WF at the time, with no prescriptions whatsoever. And when you say thirty seven, that's the roster. That's everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Especially literally back there. everyone on the roster. So in 1988, steroid trafficking was criminalized. Zahorian started selling drugs to amateur bodybuilders, and he ran his mouth on tape. I'll give you a discounted rate compared to those wrestlers. Unfortunately, he sold to an ex-powerlifter named William Dunn, who was a confidential informer who was, com- who was cooperating with federal investigators because he just got busted as well. Ah, yeah. So when Zahorian was indicted indicted in 1991, investigators <laughs> investigators kicked open his door and found him shredding invoices and shipping records. <laughs> Perfectly innocent behaviour. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> I imagine him like, like when the doors open, he just sort of look. You know, like when um, when you walk in on a cat or something, like in a room, and the way they just sort of turn and look at you. <laughs> just <stop. laughs> just yeah, just completely it? freezes and looks at you. Uh, but I, I want you guys to remember this so there's tape evidence they've got him shredding documents all of this kind of stuff <laughs> so he was convicted at trial on 15 charges of trafficking in drugs so what did he do he did exactly what the bodybuilder did he cooperated to get a sentence reduced against the WWF so where people testified against Vince one of the most damaging was this and this is a testimonial on record in court it's a former WF booker Anita Scales 
who warned Pat Patterson and Linda McMahon of the drug sales that was happening at the Pennsylvania shows, and she was told to keep booking the doctor for Pennsylvania so that, in Patterson's words, the wrestlers could get their candy. Nice. Wow. Only yeah. one wrestler actually That's ended like when up... when I was a kid and I'd hear, Mama, need your medicine! <laughs> when my mum would drag me to the pub. <laughs> So only one wrestler actually ended up testifying that McMahon personally pressured him to use steroids, and that was Kevin Nails Watchouts, whatever his stupid last name is. But everyone remembers Nails, right? Nails, yeah, that, um, yeah. I mean, you sort of do, but there's not much more. Yeah. You can... But in the absence of any corroborating evidence, um, he was painted by McMahon's attorney Jerry McDevitt as a disgruntled revenge seeker. Um, so in 1989, the attorney Jack Creel had been tipped off by an unnamed state official that Sahorian was under federal investigation for drug trafficking, prompting a remarkable memo from Linda McMahon to her executives at Titan Towers. So this is a memo between all the heads of WF, okay? Verbatim. Although you and I discussed before about continuing to have Zahorian at our events as the Doctor on call, I think that it is now not a good idea, Vince agreed, and would like for you to call Zahorian and tell him not to come to any more of our events, and also clue him in on any action that the Justice Department is thinking of taking. They got rid of him, tipped him off that the Justice Department were interested in him, that's how he knew to shred the papers. Nice. Unbelievable. So we've got fumbled evidence. We've got shredded documents. We've got the original tip-off. We've got tape evidence. We've got testimonials from people. <laughs> we've got wrestlers who are clearly on steroids. Like you just have to look at them, right? Like yeah. normal humans don't look like that naturally. And Vince all, McMahon. All the exercise in the world doesn't give you muscles like that. No, no, no. You got Macho, like the ones that were accused: Lex Luger, Macho Man, Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, all standing there going, "Nope." Lex Lex Luger is a mountain of or was back then a mountain of cannonballs with flesh just pulled over him yeah it's unbelievable so of course Vince McMahon being Vince McMahon walks off scot-free no further accusation and then as Jesse said in 2003 he turned the whole thing into a storyline as like a yeah fuck you whatever I didn't get caught the trial of my life uh, but also, um, during the court case, he wore a neck brace throughout the whole thing, like for, for, for no reason other than added sympathy. Really, no, which... I, I couldn't find any explanation for the neck brace whatsoever. There isn't, there isn't any. I think he um, he had sort of, in fact, no, he wasn't even taking bumps back there. Was he? Wasn't a mm-hmm. um, on-screen character at all at that time. No. That's yeah. That's yeah. No, no explanation at all. I've yeah, no this idea. was ninety-three, so not even close. Yeah ridiculous yeah um, yeah and then turned it into a storyline with Hulk Hogan at Wrestlemania 19 at, which culminated in an oddly um, oddly entertaining match for two old guys who can't really wrestle yeah um, but it was good um, but you know what Wrestlemania 19 um, as a draw um, did very very badly it didn't um, it didn't do as much and probably because Vince was on screen so wasn't able to buy his normal 100,000 box office um, pay-per-views <laughs> back, backstage because he was too busy wrestling. But, um, but they reckoned that it did so badly because they focused all the promotion and all the time, particularly on SmackDown, to this, to Vince versus Hulk and who created Hulkamania and the steroid trial. And turns out that the like wrestling fans of that time, the teenagers and stuff, couldn't remember it didn't give a shit had no idea what they were really talking about they wanted to see Kurt Angle Brock they wanted to see Rock Austin they wanted to see Triple H Booker T but none of that was really given good time on telly because they just wanted Vince and Hulk 
Yeah, because th- that was the first time I learned about the steroid scandal was during that promo, and I just remember sitting there going, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, exactly. You just sort of... And it's like, it's like I created Hulkamania, and it's like, no, Hulk Hogan created Hulk... Like, like I understand the argument now, but when you're a kid, you're like, what are you talking about? It's called Hulkamania. <laughs> like, who, who do you think it belongs to? Right. But... Uh, but yeah odd but yeah interesting trial and um, Vince McMahon um, this is one of many reasons he's very lucky to be a free man I think this top 10 is we should just name it top 5 reasons Vince gets away with anything he wants (laughs) like all of these come back to Vince every single one I'm Uh. so looking forward is the wrong word but when he moves on when he passes on um, it's going to be really interesting what sort of stories come out when he's not around to defend himself. Do you oh, know what there's I mean? going to be bastard children out the woodwork, and I'm not talking about Hornswoggle. <laughs> Everywhere. <of> small style. <laughs> you um, know, like when we found out Arnold Schwarzenegger had like a bastard son, and he was like, nope, definitely not my kid. And then they showed him, and it was like, just mini Arnold. Yes, I'm just picturing all of these like 20 year old Vince or 15 year old Vince McMahons with like pompadoured hair. <laughs> I don't know why I walk like this, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I was. I thought. I thought I had cerebral palsy, but turns out I'm Vince McMahon's son. Um, nice. Uh, cool. <laughs> they can't all land. Um, <laughs> um, cool. So my number four um, is. Uh, we've talked about it before um, on the show. Um, it is. Um, well, I've lost it now. Um, it is Mr. Fuji. Feeding <laughs> Tanaka's dog to him. I think so, this is like a got to five, just like exclusive for how much we talk about it. No one else ever brings this up. So we did a um, podcast ages ago with a couple of guys who do a film podcast. What were they called? Uh, podcast about something. Calvin and podcast Eric. Podcast about something. Nice guys. And uh, we did a sort of crossover podcast of them, and we did wrestling films, right? And um, I chose goldfinger because tanaka this wrestler who was in a tag team with mr fuji at the time um played odd job in goldfinger throwing the hat and um but so i told this story on that podcast and um thinking it was like oh this will be funny and i told it and there was just a silence much like my cerebral palsy joke just then um there was a silence from those two wasn't there and they were like they, they just didn't see the humour in it at all. They were like, what? They, he ate the dog? So, I will tell the story. Um, <laughs> t- um, so, Tanaka and Fuji were a tag team in some territory. It's Roddy Piper that told this story. It was the same territory that Roddy Piper was in. Um, turns out, Tanaka was going behind Mr. Fuji's back. He wanted to be a single star. He wasn't happy in this tag team called the Torture Experts, this tag team was. And um, they, he didn't didn't want to um, be in the tag team anymore. Thought he was worth more than that. So he was going to the booker, going to the promoter without Mr. Fuji knowing. Mr. Fuji found out. So he said, Mr. Fuji, obviously not a petty man, said, um, <laughs> okay, it's cool. Let's just let's have a meal. You know, we're we're brothers. You know, we've been a tag team for ages. Let's go. Let's talk about this. Let's just let's go. Come on, come come on. Bring the family. Come to my place. Um, you like spaghetti? Let's have some spaghetti. Just come on. Whatever you want. So he made him some spag bowl. They're eating, they're talking things over, and um, everything's all fine and dandy. And then at the end of the meal, they haven't really worked out. Tanaka's like, I still, I still want to be a single star. And he was like, okay, well, I wasn't going to bring this out if we'd resolved our issues, but we um, haven't, so um, I'm going to have to just um, go get something for you. So he goes out to his kitchen. 
uh, and then comes back with a um, platter with the um, steamer on top of it. Comes out, opens the steamer, and there is Tanaka's dog's head. So Mr. Fuji had killed and cooked up the dog, and that's what Tanaka had just eaten, his own dog, in the spaghetti bolognese. Um, and then the end of the story is Tanaka left the territory. <laughs> that's the end of I the story. I sure would. But the I sort should. of... Yeah, as you absolutely would. But the uh, darkness of that is that it's just like how fucked up the wrestling world is. It's told as a sort of light-hearted, funny story. Well, this is the thing. Know? Fuji's got this reputation of being like, oh, he's a ribber. He, you know, he pissed on the guy's wrestling boots, and you know, he kills dogs and feeds them. Yeah, exactly. He's just a ribber. He's just that guy. He's just that. Guy. That's how serial killers start. Serial killers kill dogs. Yeah, exactly. The thing I love about this story is the sense of like, what if they'd made up their issues? Yeah, right. So he still ate the dog. He just would never have known about it, I suppose. But then, but then, where's Fido? Do you know what I mean? You have yeah. to find him. You brought him with you, tied up in the back. Oh, he must have got loose. Sorry. Yeah. yeah Crazy. It's, just, it's fucking weird. It's it's it's. There's there's no rationalising it. Like Fuji sort of is a prank, um, which just speaks volumes without man's son. <laughs> I was reading an article on this earlier where it was like going through all of his pranks and stuff, and uh, at the top it's like yeah. He's done all of this horrible stuff, and then there's just like a editorial update. We're very sorry to hear of the passing of Mr. Fuji. He was a wonderful, wonderful performer, and he'll be sorely missed in the wrestling world. And I'm like, no, he, did, he <laughs> fed a dog to another human being as a joke. And if you watch, um, if you watch James Bond Goldfinger very closely, you can just see the constant pain of a man who's eaten his own dog <laughs> in Oddjob's eyes throughout the whole film. Oh. It's very sad. South Park did the episode as a joke where like Cartman is getting bullied by that kid so he make he kills his parents and puts him in a chili. You know, yeah, yeah. Not, not the same as a dog, but like that that's meant to be as a satirical really you know, this is Cartman as most evil that he would kill something and serve it to someone to eat. That's just wrestling. That's just <laughs> something that happens in this crazy, crazy business. I watched the um, wrestling episode of South Park a few um, days ago actually. That's a good episode. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is good. Uh, lots of abortions as well. That's fun. Uh, but they also nailed a tone of wrestling of just a real soap opera drama <laughs> of just talking the whole time. Uh, I know. You know, remember when they're holding tryouts and that one guy like just basically busts into a Broadway musical number? Yes. <laughs> and it's like he's a great wrestler. <laughs> oh my god! Look, I can wrestle. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, my number three. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yes. Yes. So um, our first death, second, oh, I've lost count. But um, so our first, oh, well, not counted the dog. Yeah, <laughs> the dog was our first. Death. Dog was our first uh, tragedy on this one. Oh, so, I suppose Pillman, kind of, but you were focusing on his living wife. I was focusing on the wife. Giggity. Mm. Um, Eddie Guerrero's death is at number three. Wow. Thought it would be higher. No, I've got much, much horrible things to come, Jesse Benz. <laughs> Okay. Much worse. Because um, Eddie Guerrero's death was a horrible moment in wrestling, but not for, like, a gory, disgusting detail. So, like, Eddie Guerrero, I'd say, is, without a doubt, one of the most beloved wrestlers of all time. You know, WWE.com named Guerrero one of the greatest technical wrestlers of all time. Ric Flair stated that Eddie was one of his top ten favorite stars to work with. Chris Jericho referred to him as the best performer in the world. You know, there's no denying, and we've talked about Eddie, I don't know how many times on this podcast. Yes ridiculously you know he's a, he was a big part of our childhood and growing up as a performer so um 
yeah he, he was does. the he was the guy like he was um so when we were sort of our favorite era of wrestling he was kind of mr smackdown to me like mm. he was he was the star of smackdown he was running that show as far as i was concerned yeah completely he was like um top dog for me but in November 13th, or sorry, on November 13th in 2005, Eddie's nephew and fellow wrestler Chavo Guerrero, I know you all know this, but I'm going to recap it anyway. Chavo Guerrero discovered him unconscious on a hotel room floor in Minneapolis, Minnesota. There was no sign of... unconscious at that point? Um, Not dead? Yeah, I think it was like, he was close. Because um, Chavo attempted to resuscitate Eddie using CPR, but um, when the paramedics got there, they pronounced him dead at the scene, so... Mm. Um, the autopsy revealed Eddie had died of natural causes relating to heart disease um, and at the time there was no mention of any underlying factors that may have contributed to his death despite the the heart failure was extremely rare for like Eddie was what 37? yeah 38, 37 around there like super fit and all you know great um, prime of his life but you know Vicky came out and stated that like Eddie's issues with drug abuse in the past had um, narrowed his arteries his heart got enlarged where just what he because Eddie was in great shape at this time, like yeah, but he was roided off his tits, mate. Well, like, I, that's, I was get, that's that's how what he died of, really. Th- that's what I was getting to. This is the dark turn of like the kind of the story. It's kind of um, so the WE stopped testing its athletes for steroids in 1996, but because of Guerrero's high-profile death and the rumors of um, an unflattering expose in Sports Illustrated, which I'll cover in a second, they created the Talent Wellness Program in February 2006. Then the Sports Illustrated article came out in March 2007, so they they got ahead of it as much as they could. You know, they were they were burning records, they were following doctors' orders, and just like shredding as fast as they could. <laughs> um, and basically, so they were investigating steroid and human growth hormones used by athletes. Wrestlers were, of course, heavily featured, and the article alleged that Eddie had used uh, Stanzazole, which is a synthetic antibiotic steroid developed back in the 60s, and a human chronic uh, cono conotrobin a hormone used to balance the testosterone levels after the steroid's been used so you don't go mental basically right so um he was discovered to be like using steroids at the time because his upper body was just insanely big with his little legs it was adorable the dude was the dude was five foot nine right that is that's wide about my height yeah yeah like it's uh, it's not a tall man at all and when you look at him sort of at his peak or just before he died really and how big he was imagine me being that big like having a body that size at the height i am It'd be hilarious it's just ridiculous right i want to keep pushing like... you over <laughs> like a weeble wobble oh, is he gonna go down but it would be it would be painfully obvious it's not natural right oh yeah completely completely yeah i'll be like well you i just crossfit just been doing crossfit crossfit <laughs> what crossfit yeah just <laughs> but so yeah. so I see this as a dark moment. Like, obviously, the the steroids and Eddie dying w- was such a dark moment throughout wrestling, but it was dark wrestling for, like, me, and I, I, I think I can speak for you in the same vein of, like, up until this point, it had been old wrestlers who died of, like, drug problems, and people we weren't really attached to. But, like, when Eddie died, wrestling changed for me, and I think it did for a lot of people. So here are our kind of superheroes that entertain us on a weekly basis, and now, like, one of the major ones has left us. It left this kind of hole and brought the realism of life into this kind of escapism product. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the only... I've said it before, I can't remember if I've said it on here, but um, being a wrestling fan is tough because 
it's you get you know a lot of people are fans of comic books and um, you know like Avengers has just come out like superhero films and things like that and that's awesome but they don't die or they don't die in like real life do you know what I mean like when yeah. wrestlers die they, that's a that's a real like that's a, you're one of your superheroes as a kid actually dying and like it's quite harrowing really to sort of go through yeah completely so it was uh it was a massive shock and it was like yeah wrestling just changed then and it was different very different and obviously... we hung out on the day that eddie guerrero died we did. back in 2005 we sat in um there's a pub in the town that we grew up in called the black bear um and we sat in the back in the garden of it with vicky um, dodge with vicky dodge you're right yeah and, oh vicky i wonder what she's up to i've no idea Are you in touch with her not at all no hi vicky um <laughs> Yeah, we should probably find out if to see if she's all right. And yeah. so, she has. A, it's weird, isn't it? I wonder if we're part of people's lives like that. Like, we're not in touch with Vicky anymore. She was a nice girl, but never a super close mate or anything. We just hung out every now and again, and uh, she's sort of synonymous with Eddie Guerrero's death for us. Yeah, <laughs> like, she'll, like, she'll forever be there in our I memory. I think that's the reason. And she's she in doesn't. My she doesn't know that. Yeah, she has no idea that she um, that she's part of that with us. And I wonder if we're part of that to anyone else about something that we just don't give a toss about. Yeah, it's weird because um, yeah. we we were sitting Getting there. Deep, man. I know, <laughs> <laughs> exploring our own demons in this episode. <laughs> uh, but we were listening to because Blink's self-titled album just came out as well, so we were listening to like "I Miss You." I remember um, playing like the Blink album. In fact, no, it, uh, the Blink album hadn't just come out. Blink One Eighty Two had just broken up. Oh yes, so so it was more like sadness. So we were listening that to a lot it. of Blink One Eighty Two. Um, and yeah, and including that album, which was their most recent album at the time, that came out in two thousand and three. That album, but yeah, um, yeah it was uh, a lot of a, a lot of pop culture tragedy going on for fifteen year old Max and Jesse. Went home, sat on MSN, and just that's that's when we became men. That yeah, day. Log, logged into MSN with my um, rabid Wolverine seventeen Hotmail account. <laughs> that hasn't aged well. <laughs> yeah, no, I changed it to Jester the Molester after that. It was yeah, so much safer, much safer. Well, much yeah, kept the feds away. <laughs> um, what's your number three? Two? Uh, three. Uh, my number three is um, the paralysis of Droz. He's gonna, he's gonna puke. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna puke. We make movies. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Droz. Um, so Droz um, was in a dark match with D'Lo Brown. Um, in fact, let's go into some history of Droz first. Yeah, we, 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 should, we should explain the, uh, yeah, the puke. <laughs> yeah, so Darren Drozdoff was a um, professional footballer. Um, as we know, a lot of professional footballers um, find their way into the wrestling business um, due to their size and um, not being very good at football. So they find something else <laughs> that they can do at their size. And um, Darren Drozdoff was one of these. And um, he had an unusual ability that he could puke on command. Um, so um, a part of there's a wrestling documentary that I'm sure many of you have seen called Beyond the Mat. And um, one bit of it is in the, in the Vince McMahon's office. And he's essentially giving Droz a job interview, yeah, right? Yeah, first or, time he's met um, the guy, you know. Yeah. The only reason so, he's offering this job is because he knows he can puke on demand. He, the only he reason. He can puke, and he's built like a brick shit house. And it's like, um, so he's doing it, talking about how, oh yeah, okay, we can give you a job, and it seems to be, you know, your name's going to be puke. 
and um, he goes, before you leave, you need to puke. And so he gives him a um, gives him his bin, and he and Vince like visibly gets aroused, doesn't he? Watching, oh God! Um, yeah. So he gives him he gives him the bin, and then um, he's basically like you can't see, but it looks like he's rubbing his legs as he's sit under the desk because he's sitting there. I, and he goes, I, yeah, come on, you need some water, do you? I, yeah, I've seen that man. Water? You need some? Ah, ah, he's got a he's got a ah, ah. and really get I dribbled when I just did that. <laughs> I'm sure um, I'm sure um, Vince did as well, but not out of his mouth. I, I've seen and, that man make out with every diva imaginable he's rubbed up against Trish he's done never has he been more aroused than watching Joss puke <laughs> watching Joss puke and Joss doesn't even manage it really he just sort of he um, dribbles he dribbles dri- a bit out yeah he does what I just did and um, yeah but it manages it and, but yeah Vince's loud laugh and the aggressive way he drinks from a water bowl um, it's fascinating that scene but anyway that's who Darren Drozdoff was season um, 4 and, <laughs> and he, um, but he eventually um, became Draws, which is a much better name than Puke. And um, he was part of Legion of Doom, wasn't he? When yeah. um, Hawk, he replaced Hawk when yeah. Hawk had either left or died, I can't remember. And um, yes, yeah, so it was Legion of Doom 2000 with um, Sonny. God, this is all coming back to me. This is just memories. Oh, I haven't thought about this out. for years. Yeah. Um, he used to wear a kilt. I used to have a nice. I used to have a weird figure of draws when I was a kid. Me too. Um, did you? I had yeah. a big one um, that you would fill it with water, press a button in his back, and he'd sweat. Uh, I don't know. So when I was a kid, um, weirdly, I was bought yeah two figures. My nan knew I liked wrestling when I was like eight or whatever. So she was like, oh, "I'm just going to go buy him some figures, some nice figures." Like oh. the, the second one was random as shit. Um, I want to say it's D'Lo Brown, but that's like too close of a parallel, so I don't think it was. But um, one of them was Draws, and it was just this guy in a kind of a kilt with like these tattoos over his chest, and I was like, "Cool, I have no idea who this is." <laughs> but like, I have I have a affiliation with Draws now, and I'm sure you do as well. Just having that toy, you go, "Yeah, Draws, love him." Yeah, because I had exactly. a toy. I've just sent you a picture of it. It was um, it, he's built like Eddie Guerrero, like all wide and. Um, well, that's quite scary. Yeah, right. Terrified, and you see that water bottle next to it. So that's his little sweat bottle. You'd fill him up, press a button in his back, and he had little pores all over his body, and they'd all just sort of trickle out of him. It was horrific. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> maybe um, maybe he sweated too much on this day because um, Dino Brown and Droz had a dark match together. And um, during the match, thank God it wasn't televised. That's one thing we can say about this. Um, one th- and this match, um, you told me that D'Lo Brown slipped on a fan's drink. That's a fact I didn't actually know about. Yeah, he had why him in the. Was it was like a muscle buster position, but he was like running with him. So, like, imagine a muscle buster. The right. I'm trying to think of how it works now. Yeah, that way round, and then a fan threw a drink in the ring, and then D'Lo was going to go for his run and drop, slipped on the drink, and then just fell down, and Draws just went down on his neck. Oh. That fan, man. That fan is the one that is to fucking blame. Yeah. But um, do you, are you ready for your toes to curl and your balls to retract inside you? My ass is tight. Please continue. Are you ready? So um, when Droz fell, um, fans in attendance who saw it said that um, he fell in such a way and his neck bent in such a way that the back of his head touched between his spine, like between his shoulder blades. Oh, my God. That's how he fell. And that's how his neck went. That's fucking horrible, no? That is horrendous. Just the idea of just touch the back of your head now and 
just yeah. look up to the sky and feel it in the back of your head and imagine looking up so far that the back of your head touches between your shoulder blades. It's ugh, horrible. Yeah, horrible. Uh, but that's what happened, and uh, the poor bloke was paralysed, um, obviously, continues to be paralysed, and will be forever. Um, I'm sure he's a very rich man. I can only imagine that WWF paid him a stupid amount of money. Um, he was uh, married to a costume designer who worked for WWF as well. Um, they, they got married days after the accident. Did they? Yeah, um, it was. Okay. And um, he later stated that one thing he would like to do would be able to walk his wife down the aisle, but obviously not. No. Yeah, yeah. no. Because uh, and the reason that will never happen, even if Droz does um, manage to walk again, is that she left him um, years later for Shannon Moore of all people, and um, I believe she's now um, in a relationship with Shannon Moore. They, so they not did, only they did divorce. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, but they, they certainly were together for a bit. Well, yeah. But so you're draws, you're paralysed, and then you get left for Shannon Moore. What the fuck is going on with your life? Like, how is draws still with us? Uh, so draws lives with his sister and her family, and he requires twenty-four hour in-home care. Takes multiple medications daily, in addition to needing to lie flat for long periods of time. So, um, but he's got like this medical staff and like we is continuing to support him so he does have some independence because he's got this customized tank like wheelchair oh yeah i've seen that i was in a picture of that it's amazing it's <laughs> yeah, so it's cool great. um it's almost worth being paralyzed for but yeah fucking horrendous yeah brutal and all from this fake shit yeah you you are one of the you know you play for the denver broncos and you're an nfl star you you get drafted to we you're in major storylines gone all gone yeah Ugh, horrible <sighs> horrible but you know Droz says um, he, he's gone on record and says it was a complete accident and holds no animosity towards Brown at all because like D'Lo Brown um, yeah exactly obviously... and like, that couldn't happen to a nicer guy either D'Lo Brown seems like a really solid dude yeah well th- this is something I've just found out like while like um, D'Lo Brown was distraught and while Droz was on the stretcher you know, your neck's just been snapped. While he's on the stretcher, he tells Brown not to blame himself and it was an accident. Yeah. What a yeah, stand-up no, dude nice. that is. Yeah, totally. Yeah, to be fair, you know, I mean, I mocked his sort of... The fact he's disabled and the fact that his wife left him for, essentially, a, a fetus. But, um, he... <laughs> uh, but, yeah, he does seem like, he does seem like a nice guy. Sorry, Dross. <laughs> <laughs> but, then. Um, Dark moment. Dark moment in wrestling. It was a dark moment. And apparently that is uh, one of two tapes, because they tape everything in WWE, whether it's televised or not. Uh, that is one of two tapes that exists in the WWE vault that um, has a label on it um, that people have seen that says, um, never destroy, never watch, basically. Yeah. And um, and the other one we will get to. Yeah, basically there's those two videos that are like in a lockbox. Because wrestlers can request any tape that they want or anything they want from the warehouse. You cannot request those two tapes. Yeah, but, but you can't. But they, they will always exist as well. It's sort of weird that they want to keep them as well. Yeah, I suppose they might be used as evidence one day or something. I don't know. But, exactly. Um, so my number two. Um, so we've covered dog eating, paralyzing, exploiting <laughs> widows. How do you feel about a bit of uh, sexual exploitation allegations? I'm well up for that. It's like a busman's holiday. <laughs> 
It's a laugh riot that they got till five. Imagine someone who's just like, I've heard a lot of, you know, I, I've seen their advert in the Cooling Spots magazine, which you can still purchase, by the way, by going to coolingspots.com. Um, and I've seen, seen their stuff everywhere. Maybe I should check them out. And they play this episode. <laughs> yeah, well, we have a few episodes like that, don't we? Where you think, God, I hope this isn't the first one that people listen to. But yeah, yeah, those got to five guys. They seem pretty fun loving. <laughs> I want to talk Rape. about <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Nice segue. So, <laughs> Fabulous Moolah exploitation allegations at number two. Now, I have to focus on the word allegations, but this isn't a new thing that's been talked about recently this has been going on for years and years across multiple female wrestlers and when it really gained speed Moolah was no longer alive so mm. i'm ready for this one i actually i know very little about this so i'm looking forward to you teaching me okay well i've got i've got a, a lot to tell you so so let me get cracking here so um let me walk you through some of these accounts so Moolah, just to give you some background when Moolah started she trained with a guy named billy wolf now billy wolf is a man with a proven track record of abusive behavior towards women trainees and stars he would often sleep with them in exchange for spots on his cards so Moolah would only last a year in billy wolf's camp before the abuse kind of took its toll on her so then she started her own camp purely for women you know i'm just gonna do this um but wolf kind of still had a stranglehold on the north american circuit so she found it really difficult to get work so she was like if i get these girls we can kind of spread out and make some money from it so but instead of like the logical thing, and we can talk about this in a second from like the love line, abuse begets abuse. Um, yeah. Instead of her going, you know what? I had a horrible experience at my camp. Let's make this a safe environment for women. She went, no, I'm going to take all the worst parts of what I experienced and do that. That That's a good idea. Yeah. So the old, um, the old West way, <laughs> the old West way. So um, Wendy Richer claimed that all women training at the camp had to sign a contract and this contract allowed Moolah to function as their booker, and she received 25% of their booking fees. So, and also trainees were also required to rent duplex apartments on Moolah's property. They were responsible for paying her for rent and utilities. So, a wrestler by the name of Mad Maxine said that with rent and training fees, this would amount to like $1,500 worth of debt, causing very young women who come in with... They're not rich, you know. People who get into wrestling are not rich by any stretch of the imagination. So they will be plunged into debt, which allowed Moolah to kind of control their lives. So Maxine also said that when she went to work for the... Pretty the, smart when you think about it. It is. And I, when I was typing this up, I went, Jesse's going to see the logic in this. <laughs> but I'll explain why it's bad. So <laughs> when she went to work for the WF, Moolah was still obviously had the contracts. It was still the booker. So she took half of her earnings from she made it she's in wf still lost half of her earnings so debbie johnson is another former trainee of moolah she stated she was required to give moolah 30 percent of her booking fees and further reduced it as moolah deducted travel expenses food rent and utilities before paying her johnston worked for moolah for two years before she received any money whatsoever so she's an idiot yeah well they're all idiots. You, you've got girls <laughs> with a dream to be a famous wrestler someone's going to exploit that so um, Johnson stated that Moolah would refuse to book certain women at the training camp if they angered her and that she refused to leave, let them leave the physical constraints of the camp unless she was accompanied by another person it's like cult mentality that's going on here yeah. so 
over the it's, years, uh, it's it's Manson family stuff. Oh yeah, it? it's complete, completely, it's insane. So over the years, various female wrestlers have come forward um, with stories accusing Moolah of being a pimp who would supply various wrestling promoters with unsuspecting female wrestlers that would then just be used as sex objects. So Penny Banner described how Moolah would rent her female wrestlers out, and this is the worst bit in bulk, like it's a fucking Costco or something. Yeah to wrestling promoters and male wrestlers so the promoters and the male wrestlers could just have sex with them and the women who were sent on these tours were not told of this arrangement beforehand so anyone who refused to have sex with the wrestlers or promoters was just raped yeah yeah I mean yeah 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 yeah. terrible (laughs) I'm talking to the wrong person here so (laughs) the most notorious accusation of this comes from uh, Sweet Georgia Brown Um, she was trained and booked by Moolah and um, Moolah's dead husband, Buddy Lee. So Georgia Brown told her daughter that she was often raped, given drugs, made an addict, as an intentional attempt by Moolah and Lee to kind of control her. Ida Martinez recalls that many of the regional promoters demand personal services from Moolah's girls before they paid them. So they knew they could just get these girls in. Oh yeah, work a dark match, and then we can just have our way with them before we give them any money. Um, And a lot of, not a lot of money. So she really did run the organization as a pimp and another aspect that is also too long to kind of get into is how she would have a tight grip around women's wrestling territory she she controlled that shit like some people have compared it to don corleone and the godfather the way she would control that shit it's ridiculous but why is she held in such high regard then well or was she is it just because she was one of the first women to sort of be on WWE television? Is that yeah, it? she she was one of the first women. She's a pioneer and all this stuff. And this is the bit where it gets kind of interesting because, like, how many women did I just mention with accounts that worked under her? Six or seven minimum mm. who have all different accounts, but all same accounts of, like, what she did and, like, people coming forward. But there's people in the industry all male, by the way, um, such as Bruce Pritchard, Jerry Lawler, who have spoken out against the saying They never saw that side of her. She was a lovely person, never heard anything around that, you know, how these girls were treated. So it, it's interesting from that aspect, but you've got all of these female yeah, You wrestlers. don't wear everything on your sleeve. Like, people don't... She's like... not walking in with them with collars and leashes down yeah, the exactly. hallway. That's what people, like anyone who does bad shit, like, people are always so surprised when people do bad shit and sort of say, oh, but he always seems so nice or he was always so quiet. And it's so there's many you know shades of grey as it's what man would say like there's many um, aspects to people isn't there like there's like Fred West's favourite film was Bambi yeah. like it's that you can still enjoy nice things and be nice to people and also do fucking horrible things it's it, doesn't it's not black and white like that no completely so it this is where i always get muddled so this is like a hearsay argument of like wrestling history you know as poisonous as the business can be you can see where the truth of this comes from because we know what wrestling is like um as an industry so like i I can 100 percent see this being true but unfortunately we're never going to know whether it's true or not um but from the the allegations that are out there it, it seems fucking horrible um and it's a really the horrific dark part of women's wrestling history was there some les off well there was a wrestler i think it was i'm not going to say because i'm not confident i don't want to out them as a lesbian but uh one of the girls i mentioned was a lesbian and Mueller, and this is one of my favorite bits that i researched it was like Mueller would force her to not go to gay bars make her go to straight bars and like be straight you know have sex with men and do all this kind of stuff and then the article just goes 
which is ironic due to some of Moolah's past indiscretions. I didn't go into it, so uh, oh, she she a... did some rug munching herself, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> Such a... <laughs> well, how 80s of you. <laughs> um, uh, very good, nice. Um, yeah, I just I remember there being um, an inference of lesbianism. That's basically all that I took away from when I tried to <laughs> Jesse learn about the fabulous Moolah. There was extortion, women were raped, and then there was... There was no, they said lesbian before, and everyone else was like, Charlie Brown, yeah, after you. And then all of this stuff kind of gained traction again when uh, WE, in their infinite knowledge, decided to do the fabulous Moolah Memorial Battle Royale at WrestleMania, and everyone went, nope. Yeah. This is yeah, why. that's good that they. That's good that. Um, and it didn't happen, did it? Or the name no. was changed. Yeah, it was just called the uh, WrestleMania Women's Battle Royale or something. Yeah, that's good. They should have named it after like one of her victims or something. Yeah, that would have been a nice thing to do. Maybe. Exactly. So uh, yeah, uh, did you feel educated from that? I do a bit. Thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, yet again, um, a tremendous um, dramatization could be made of that. Mm. Be cool. Season five. See, it's just yeah fuck it let's just go let's just pl- plant Vince in there like he's probably I know he had nothing to do with all this stuff but um, I, let's just blame him anyway <laughs> he will be like so like Moolah was like top pimp and she controlled it but she still has to report to a daddy and that oh, would be it. Vince McMahon yeah absolutely daddy yeah. Vince daddy Vince completely so uh, what, what's, what's your number two on this uh, I forget how long these are when we do five each yeah right uh my number two is um none other than the um tragic death of owen hart at over the edge 1999 poorly named pay-per-view poorly very poorly named um, very poorly named pay-per-view um yeah, everyone knows. <laughs> um, everyone knows uh, the deal. Um, Owen Hart um, was playing a gimmick called the Blue Blazer at the time. So he had previously been the Blue Blazer in the late eighties and was over as a babyface as the Blue Blazer as a sort of um, Hulk Hogan esque, you know, say your prayers, eat your vitamins sort of character. Um, they brought him back as the Blue Blazer in the late 90s, but this time as a farce because it was Attitude Era and everything was cool now and a character like that would be sort of laughed at and they sort of would do it as a dig at Hulk Hogan, I think. Yeah. And um, that's what he was. So it's it's even more annoying that one of the greatest wrestlers of all time in Owen Hart was demeaned to be this character in his final days. But um, he was supposed to do a entrance from the ceiling um, in his match. Who was he even supposed to be wrestling? Can you remember? Oh, shit. Um, no, I don't remember who he was meant to be wrestling. I'm going to find out. But, I want to um, say, say the Godfather or the Goodfather. I um, think you might be right about that. I um, think... Um, but he, So he's supposed to do an entrance from the ceiling on a um, cord... Um, much like what Sting would use when he'd come down from the rafters. And in fact, um, the guy that, who had rigged this cord, um, did you know this? Got the job by telling WWF that he was the guy that had done Sting's stuff in WCW. So uh. so they were like, oh, you clearly know your shit, let's get you in. Turns out, this dude was like on a team of 12 that did Sting's um, cord in WCW. And he was like, just the lowest of the 12 do you know what I mean like just running around and he was he got this job to do on his own for WWF 
and fucked it up. And um, so Owen Hart was supposed to come down as a flying blue blazer, supposed to be all Eight, funny. Gets 80 all foot, by the way. It was 80 foot in the air. 80 foot high in yeah, the yeah. air. Terrifying. Um, and he was going to challenge the Godfather for the Intercontinental title. There we go. It was Godfather. Um, and he's supposed to come down. He's supposed to get caught in it and like... At, just before he hits the floor and uh, it's going to be all funny and he's all tangled up. <laughs> That's funny, pal. Um, and um, then um, it snapped. Um, it snapped and he fell down. It was during they were playing a um, previously recorded interview with the Blue Blazer, I believe, on the screen when he fell. And um, he fell. He, I believe, hit the rope is what we're told. Chest and... first onto the turnbuckle. Yeah, and um, and he yelled, and people think what well, he, he actually yelled because he was going to land on the referee, and he yelled to the referee to get out the way. Yeah, which is pretty amazing, yeah. and um, so that was his sort of final act, which is a good act, you know, if nothing else. Um, so save the referee, and I believe I've talked about this before. Um, there was talk for extra comedy because we know how Vince McMahon loves midgets. Um, Vince McMahon um, had hired, and they nearly had a midget who was going to be dressed as a mini blue blazer to be strapped to Owen Hart and come down from the rafters as well. So, and it was nixed, um, like, last minute they decided not to do it. Literally last minute, there was a dwarf backstage who um, was there because he'd been hired and wasn't used and was nearly used for that. So can you imagine how he felt? Converting to every religion under the sun after that moment. Right, yeah. Because I've, I've always asked you, like, obviously we'll never know, but, like, what if he had been attached, like... Would he have cushioned the impact for for Owen? Would Owen have survived if like we had sacrificed the midget? Or would we have two deaths on our hands? Exactly, it's true. One? Something uh, I didn't know is that they successfully tested the um, what they were going to do on the November fifteenth episode of Sunday Night Heat um, that that year's Survivor Series pre-show. Uh, right. but they used a different harness configuration. So they right. tested it with a different harness configuration. And went, yeah, that works. Changed it at the show. Didn't think to test it. Yeah, because of this jabroni that um, had been hired who basically lied his way. We've all done it, lied our way into a job. But lying your way into a job like that, <laughs> where you're, like, in charge of someone's life, just, yeah, um, more carniness um, happening. Um, but um, the, it's obviously dark and terrible that this happened, but I think um, what makes it darker is that the show continued. This this is it, you know. It, the, the show stopped for, for 15 minutes in total. No one knew what was going on. Um and so imagine the pandemonium in the back of like pandemonium of uh, Vincent McMahon and other like officials and stuff making that decision you've got Mm. all of his friends around like Jeff Jarrett his closest friend was probably in Gorilla because he was coming out next to cut a promo not knowing what had happened like his friend's clearly dead or you know is not in great shape Vince is going fuck what do we do what do we do screw it the shows must go on Jarrett get out there and cut a promo on the way to the ring and Jarrett has to go out there as his, like, character. And you can... Oh, I think that's what sticks with me most. Watching Jarrett do that promo, coming down that rampway, just not there, just completely distraught about what's going on with his friend. You know what, if nothing else, um, what this show taught me is that um, wrestlers, when they're at a certain level, and <clears throat> even wrestlers that we would say... Like Jeff Jarrett, we would say is not a great wrestler. I don't particularly enjoy his matches, but he's still, he's, he's good at what he does within his realm. Do you know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. um, and all, all wrestlers, if you, if you're signed to WE, you are, you have a certain level of confidence and ability. And this show taught me that you really can 
even with something as physical as wrestling, go into autopilot and yeah. put put on passable matches as all the roster did after this happened. You know, they all, as you say, they all must have been shook up. It must have been pandemonium. Um, but they all went out and put on perfectly acceptable matches after this because it, when you're at a certain level of something, you can just go into autopilot and just do, you know, spot A to spot B, just do those matches yeah. as they do every day on the house shows. And that's kind of amazing. Though. Yeah. And it's weird from a, a fan perspective as well because... Everyone in that arena carried on watching that show. They still cheered. They still booed. They still treated it as a form. Well, I guess they did. This is sort of pre-internet being massive, right? They didn't know. Even when JR announces that Owen Hart has died, the live crowd don't necessarily know. He's not on mic. He's announcing it to the no, that, that viewing audience panic, at home, right? But yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I watched this show and I continued to watch, you know, like after that announcement had kind of happened. It's like, I, I just I guess it wasn't real. It like... JR's famous this is not a part of entertainment tonight this is as real as real can be but it just didn't have time to sink in you were just like oh god this has happened yeah so I'm with the show and the wrestlers fucking, can you imagine this like all that pandemonium and stuff but somehow word gets to the back that I guess Vince or someone has to tell each wrestler before they go out it's like oh um, when you're wrestling and you watch the matches and they don't and they say oh don't go to the far top left um, of the ring because that's where Owen landed and um, it's basically that bit of the ring is now damaged because of the impact of Owen's body hitting it so um, don't wrestle in that bit so they have to avoid that bit of the ring you know because one of their mates has just died there and you'd you want to you wouldn't want to be on this standing on the turnbuckle doing shit and laying down haymakers on your opponent yeah 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 it's yeah yeah, very weird like what would so put yourself in Vince's shoes you've got millions of TV deals on the line you've got paying customers you've got viewers at home who spent 50 quid a pop each what would be your call I I I get that it's a difficult thing Um, it's I've had this discussion with a few other people and um, people who are in the theatre world or the arts world always say the show must go on no matter what um and I understand that, but then, and I'd say, yeah, you've got all that pressure, but then someone's just died. I, I think I would stop it, you know. I would stop it. I would refund everyone there, um, and yeah, I would call it off. I think it's it's one night of you know disappointment for the fans or whatever, and you're going to lose a bit of revenue, but not enough to bankrupt you or anything, not enough to severely damage you. And you would come out in the long term looking a lot better, I think, if you stopped it. Yeah, they got more flack. They got criticised heavily, obviously, for um, continuing the show. Um, And this was brought up in court when, like, um, Martha, Owen's wife, and parents, children, you know, they sued WF um, Mm. due to the poor planning of the event and, you know, the, the emotional damage that they did after continuing the show. WF, of course, settled this case out of court and they paid $18 million to the widow, children and parents. But it's nothing to Vince. No, no. That was probably, you know, if you think about it from a dark aspect of this, which we love doing, apparently, um, that $18 million <laughs> might have been the revenue he made from that show or something stupid, you know, the build-up of that year's worth of profit. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, take it. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, Yeah, it means uh, it's, it's not... Yeah, money's no object. Um to Vince McMahon and hasn't been since um, well cer- certainly then it was you know since 1997 money's been no object to him when it was clear that WE were going to dominate 
against WCW. You know, there was no issue there at all. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's um, uh, yeah, stop stop the show. Um, if if people in the crowd are like insensitive enough to moan, oh, I didn't get the fucking show. It's like fuck, have your fucking money back then. Who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Like it's you know, I, that's that's the stance I like to think I would have taken, but. As you say, in the heat of the moment, with all that, that riding sure. on you, yeah, yeah I, I don't know if I would. It's mad. Okay, Whew. I like how we started off kind of light, and it was just—it wasn't light, but it was a lot better than where we're at now. <laughs> so uh, we did the intro. Uh, we got we got about forty-five seconds into the show, and then Max went, "Oh shit, I haven't actually pressed record." And it was like, thank, "Thank fuck that you noticed that then," because if we'd got to the end of this show and we're all like, "Oh god, everything's so bad and horrible. This has drained us." And it's like, "Oh shit, didn't record. Start again. Okay, let's go." <laughs> I'd kind of like to hear that version more. Just hello, <laughs> hello everyone. <laughs> We're just dead, this. <laughs> uh, I panicked and I was like, "Shit, we still recording yet?" We are. Oh fine. fuck! Don't um, do that to me. So my my number one is um, let, let's top this. Let's top my area off of darkness with uh, with a murder. Murder, murder, most foul. Um, so quite a famous case. A lot of people will notice it's been covered in the new series. Um, oh fuck! I had it in my head all the way up until this point. It's the new Viceland series. Yeah, have you watched it? Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Oh cool! And you t- you said to me, I told you about it, right? And you said, oh, if you find a way to watch it, hit me up. So you have, and you haven't hit me up. Yeah. What's the deal? Sorry, mate. Dick. I'll I'll, I'll send it to you later. Fucking better. I won't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> you won't. That's it's not worth my effort. <laughs> Uh, so um, one of the most kind of famous stories in wrestling and something that's still kind of shrouded in mystery is the Bruiser Brody murder and a lot of wrestling fans are going to be familiar with this but if like you're casual or you're one of the weirdos listening to the show that doesn't like wrestling let me tell you a story this is again this is something I don't actually know I obviously know Bruiser Brody was murdered and that but I don't know much about I don't really know the ins and outs of don't it. know the ins and outs well buckle up buddy you're about to I'm get them I'm strapped in so strapped on disturbing um <laughs> Bruce Brody was murdered and that's a fact you know there's no denying it it's <laughs> the end <laughs> when, when I did the fabulous Moolah thing I had to put allegations in in case like anything came up but like this one it's just so cut and dry but did anyone go to prison for this no because it's wrestling and justice doesn't get served in wrestling as we no. have learned previously so yeah. Brody kept his persona very protected uh, not many people know much about the man behind the character in real life he's called Frank Goodish he was 6 foot 8 he was 295 pounds he was <laughs> a big <laughs> it's a good name isn't it I'm go- yeah. Goodish I'm, I'm Goodish yeah sorry go <laughs> it's probably why I changed it um <laughs> But, like, he believed his character so much and he protected the idea of kayfabe so much in this kind of time where, like, it's the 80s, you know? It's If you told a wrestler wrestling's fake, you'd get the shit slept out of you. If you said that to, like, Xavier Woods at the airport, he'd be like, yeah. And then just walk <laughs> on, you know? So, um, yeah, Brody was fucking huge and he would make you believe that wrestling was real when you watched him which not a lot of wrestlers can do they can't take you they can't take you out of that moment and go especially when you know they can't take you out and go oh fuck maybe this is happening for real yeah he's got off script man but Brody could do that so during a brief tour of Puerto Rico in 1988 Brody would lose his life unfortunately and the circumstances leading to the incident remain unclear and hazy to this day but 
this is kind of the overall thing of what happened. So Brody was in the locker room before his scheduled match with Dan Spivy, awesome name, when yeah. Jose Huertas Gonzalez, a fellow wrestler and booker, alleg- allegedly, I have to say, asked him to step into the shower to discuss business, as we all do at business meetings. <laughs> That's how Vince conducts his prison um, bookings. <laughs> yeah, step into the shower, pal. <laughs> so there was an argument between the two wrestlers and a scuffle ensued. And the way the re- dressing room was designed, no one saw what happened. Um, but there were two screams loud enough for the lo- entire locker room to hear. Tony Atlas runced into the shower and saw Brody bent over and holding his stomach. Atlas then looked up at Gonzalez and saw him holding a knife. Pretty clear cut, no? I witness... uh, I can um I can see where this is going. It's great, isn't it? I love wrestling. So, um I never really liked his run in WE as Zeb Coulter, but he has the coolest porn name in the world. Dutch Mantel. Zeb yes. Coulter. Oh, I love it so much. He described the confusion at the scene. So so this is a verbatim account for what Dutch Mantel said happened. Do you remember when Dutch Mantel um, came out with, uh, when he was with, um, fucking hell, I've forgotten his name, um, Mexican, Pages X. Alberto Del Rio. Alberto Del Rio. When he came out with Alberto Del Rio, when Alberto Del Rio returned. And he was on a, um, like, mobility was, scooter. Yeah. And it was all a bit weird. <laughs> we the PS dark times. So, so this is uh, Dutch Mantel's um, account. So, we all heard a scream and saw someone's hand with a knife go into a bigger guy. I'm pretty sure you saw what happened. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, Gonzalez ran out a secret hideaway in the back, and we all ran in and knew it was pretty bad. Brody's main chest wound had blood that was bubbling, so I figured his lung had been sliced open. He kept asking pro wrestler Tony Atlas, who I just mentioned ran in there first, to take care of his wife and kids. He knew he was dying, but could talk. It took well over an hour to get the ambulance there. I called Mrs. Goodish and told her she better come down a few hours before he died, and that the rumors that she had heard were true pretty pretty harrowing account that so due to the traffic outside you know it's puerto rico and there's like a lot of fans they, they just couldn't get to the stadium so it took the paramedics an hour to get to brody so when the paramedics arrived they couldn't get up um to the actual because there was just too many people so tony atlas picked up brody now bear in mind i mentioned he was six foot nine 295 pounds he picks they him did. up carries Brody downstairs to the ambulance um, but because Brody was so massive the the paramedics were unable to kind of lift him into the ambulance Atlas had to do that as well he had to carry him into the Atlas so uh, into the Atlas into the the ambulance (laughs) can't have two A's so um, this is described by Atlas in the in the show Dark Side by Dark Side of the Ring which you check out so he says that the hospital was chaotic and filled to the brim with people in need of emergency treatment so Brody was just being ignored, his chest is bubbling with blood, he's dying, and no one's doing anything. So one of the other wrestlers went and forcibly carried a doctor into the room, picked him up, <laughs> and was like, treat my friend. And then uh, Mantel added that the police at the time believed the stabbing to be some sort of like wrestling hoax, which is fucking insane. So the, the police didn't believe that this was real. Right. So, Brody had already been taken out, but the police walked in thinking, well, this is just another crazy wild wrestling brawl. Um, that, that's just insane logic to me. I, I just can't compute that. So, 
Gonzalez, Tony Atlas literally pointed to the police officers. He, that's the man that did it. He stabbed him. And they just were like, meh. We'll see. But um, he eventually did get arrested. But Gonzalez claimed self-defense. He testified his own defense. Didn't have a lawyer, big, big city lawyer or nothing to defend him. <laughs> he did it himself. And he was acquitted of murder in 1989 because the prosecution witnesses who did not live in Puerto Rico didn't show up claiming that they didn't receive the summons until after the trial had ended. So Gonzalez got off scot-free, Brody lost his life, and there's no result to this. You know, Gonzalez is an 80-year-old man now living quite happily in, you know, his retirement. It's ridiculous. What, what was the motive, though? No one knows. No one knows the motive. It was he called him in to have a talk about business, and it just disintegrated from there, and... So just a heat of the moment argument, maybe. Yes, it seems as opposed like to a, a premeditated thing. Yeah, no idea. But why would you be carrying a knife of that size? I guess it's <laughs> Puerto true. Rico, so yeah, who knows? But um, the, that's the, not a knife; it's a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> the good thing about Brody is, like, he's still remembered very fondly. You know, he, he wasn't—he was around for a while, but he's—he's he's remembered so fondly. And Luke he's, Harper's based his entire yeah, looking he, career on him. He's an inspiration to like so many careers, and like his life was tragically cut short. But um, he he was inducted into the Hall of Fame posthumously, and he inspired a lot of wrestlers who enjoyed that kind of style. So, um, but yeah, we don't know what the argument was over, but his life got cut short probably over some carny pointless bullshit. Yeah, I'm sure it was. It's yeah. all carny pointless bullshit. This podcast is carny pointless bullshit. <laughs> everything, everything, everything in the industry is carny pointless bullshit. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, that, that's me done. There we go. We've learned about Bruiser Brody, fabulous moolah, lesbians, um, Brian Pillman's five children. I didn't know he had that many. Um, yeah, just... that's good. You've done your bit. Well done. So I presume we're ending on a high right now. You're going to take us out of this podcast looking, smelling like roses. This is the main event. Um, number one is none other than my favourite in-ring performer of all time, um, Chris Benoit and the death of him, his wife Nancy Benoit and their son Daniel. Um, they I'm really hoping you're not going to tell the fact in this that you told me earlier. But I, I imagine Why? you've got it written down, haven't you? Well, so I don't have it. Well, I've got it tattooed on my brain, but it's. <laughs> uh, why? What's wrong with it? I'm just wondering how dark you're going to take this because Jesse knows far too much about this case. I know I everything. Think he was I've, there. Who told you? I've yeah, I've read so much about this. Uh, there's some weird stuff around um, the Chris Benoit death. So um, the after we all know Chris Benoit um, killed his wife Nancy and his son Daniel and then himself um, all on a weekend the same weekend that Vengeance 2007 took place and um, it's so he no, he obviously no-showed because he was dead um, and the was day he before, dead at that point for the show? Uh, they th they think he was he, he, they reckon he killed himself sort of as the show was happening around that sort of time right um, they um, but he had not answered his calls uh, he had phoned a day before and he had told Chavo that um, his wife and son were both very sick with food poisoning um, they were both dead at that point and um, and then the last and then he sort of started when Chavo I love you very pointedly on the phone to Chavo Guerrero and um, that was the last time anyone heard him speak 
Um, another weird thing, Hardcore Holly was supposed to um, be at his house for a barbecue um, that Saturday that shit went down. Um, Hardcore Holly... Um, you don't think that's the reason he did it, right? Yeah, it just, Bob, you didn't come! Um, Hardcore Holly didn't go. Um, Hardcore Holly basically um, blew Chris Benoit off, said, oh, actually, I can't really be bothered. And um, you imagine if he did, maybe, you know, anything could have happened. It could have... Um, everything could have changed. But um, Benoit um, killed himself. He was found the following morning by a neighbour who had a key to the house um, who had basically been called by um, by the police sort of saying, look, he's no-showed, he's not getting in touch with stuff, um, you're a neighbour, can you just check things out before we waste time and send um, police down? Because this is um, in um, Georgia, right? This is a, They live in a small area of Georgia. These police, This police force is not used to handling a crazy case like this. No. And um, so the ne- they get the neighbour to go in. The neighbour lets herself in. Um, smell The smell of um, rotting apples is faintly in the air. And um, she first she sees Nancy lying on the floor. Nancy, who'd been there two or three days at this point. And uh, there was something about the humidity of the house that had caused her body to decompose um, quite quickly. Her um, arm was already decomposing. Um, so that's fun. And she then went upstairs, found Daniel in the bed, also um, in the early stages of decomposing in his bedroom, surrounded by Chris Benoit posters, Chris Benoit toys, um, that sort of thing, um, wrestling belts. And then you can imagine what this neighbour was like, you know, freak the fuck out, called the police, and police came. Police completely botched sorting this crime scene out. There was no forensics on site. They um, apparently there was a stain of blood on Chris Benoit's nose that was wiped off in the body bag because they just clumsily put him in this body bag. Just small town police that just didn't know how to handle. But small town police that were too arrogant to hand it over to um, competent police that are supposed to come in for this sort of thing. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And um, there's so much stuff. Like, why was there blood on Chris Benoit's nose? We don't know. But um, it was wiped off in the body bag, so we'll never know. Um, that happened. Um, and then we have the um, tribute show the next day. This is a man who um, has spent, at this point, 22 years in the wrestling business. Um, and um, so they do a tribute show, much like they did with Eddie, except they um, didn't let the live crowd in for this one. They just did sort of showed highlights of Chris Benoit's um, career and interviewed people, sort of talking heads backstage, talking about how much they're going to miss Chris Benoit. Now... About halfway through this show, news no, starts trickling in. You, Sorry, you, know, you know what I just found out? So what? after discovering the bodies, the police notified WE around 4.15pm that they had yes. discovered three bodies at the Benoit home. Yeah. That's way before they go on for taping. Yes, but that doesn't mean that... Yeah, so they say at the start of, uh, at the, start of the Chris Benoit tribute show, they say Chris Benoit, his wife Nancy and son Daniel are dead. Or Vince McMahon says it in the ring. Do you remember? Because he yeah. say because his character eerily had been killed off the week before, and then he says in reality they're all dead. So they knew that they were all dead, but that doesn't mean that you don't immediately jump to Chris Benoit killed them, do you? I, you jump, guess, you jump like... to like there's been a sort of home invasion or um, a, a gas leak. That's something a lot of the wrestlers were saying. These are the sort of things your mind go to, right? The idea of Chris Benoit killing people is not. You know, they all knew him as a sort of quiet, professional bloke. You just, your mind would not jump to that. Yeah, 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 true. 
so they um so they start the tribute show and um it's about halfway through the show that it starts trickling in because there's um like you know bibles laid by each of the bodies um it just became quite apparent that benoit had done this and it's just you can tell you can tell when watching the interviews it's around the jbl um and william regal when they're speaking back william regal one is very interesting to watch William Regal sort of says, he says, I'm not going to mention, um, I'm not going to talk about Chris Benoit um, as a person right now. Um, all I'm going to say is there was never anyone more professional that I worked with or something like that yeah. is essentially what he said. Very and careful words. Very careful words. You can tell that he knows something's up, whereas yeah. everyone else has just sort of gone, you know, Benoit is the best man in the world. As you do when people die, you forget that they ever did anything wrong, you know. And... Um, uh, yeah, Regal was very careful, and JBL was as well. Um, when he he very JBL doesn't talk about the person; he just talks about his experiences working with him. And it's yeah, it's interesting and eerie. And then the next night, this is back when WWE ECW was a thing. And um, the next night on that show, the ECW show, Vince McMahon um, says, "Apart from now, we will never um, speak of Chris Benoit. He will never be mentioned on WWE television again." And he hasn't been, um, with the exception of Ric Flair's Four Horsemen <laughs> um, interview. Yeah. Uh, not interview, Hall of Fame um, speech. Um, he credited Chris Benoit in that, which was cut out. Um, it was broadcast live, but cut out from subsequent um, viewings of it. Um, so that all happened. Um, there is, like I say, Bob Holly was supposed to be there. Um, Chavo Guerrero almost feels seems like he um, let on too much when he's talking about it. He's talking about... He's saying things like... I know you wouldn't do anything bad or, or something like he says weird things and it's before it's been revealed you know before it's public that Chris Benoit did murder his family mm. so it's there's a strange little conspiracy things around it not that I believe any conspiracy stuff particularly it's just it's just very weird well, well the weirdest one is obviously that uh wikipedia edit that happened which yes, has, has now been proven to be like uh the kid was just like oh it's just a joke but like how specifically he wrote that um benoit killed his wife and son and then killed himself was like to a t before anyone knew any information whatsoever and then they found this kid and he was like this snotty nosed kid it was like it was a joke i don't know what was going on but Good God, how scared would you be? Yeah, man. Yeah, if, terrifying. If they had followed that up. Jesus. And he'd been writing... So they found... Um, uh, that was another thing. This stupid policeman, like, botching so much stuff. Like, they allowed the um, trash to be taken out whilst they were collecting the bodies. And it's like, there could have been so much evidence thrown away. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and the, the um, dustbin men just came and took it all away. And it's like, there could have been so much evidence there, but no, it's just gone now. And um, but some of the stuff that was found around was he'd been writing diaries to Eddie Guerrero um, for the last few years, like letters to him. Um, most of it very um, banal, like you know, hey Eddie, uh, did leg day today and things like that. But um, as it goes on, you find the more recent stuff, and it does say things like you know I I want to see you, I want to be with you soon, things like that. Um, or they did a, um, hist- a Google search history of um, Chris Benoit's computer. The last thing Googled was how to bring, how do you bring children back from the dead? Really? I yeah, thought it was the, the neck-breaking thing. 
Oh yes, of course. Okay, yeah. So he, yeah, he did look into the quickest way to um, break your neck. But one of the last searches was also how do you bring a child back from the dead? As if Google's just going to pop that answer out for you. Well, but but that's but that's like pretty scary state of mind to be in, right? When you're having to Google that. If you if you ever Google that, just stop and have a look at yourself. <laughs> it probably means you're not in a good situation. Well, I remembered a picture as well. Um, he, so he killed Nancy and Daniel. And then he went to his doctor's to get, like, a prescription. Yes. And a fan... And took a picture of the fan, yeah. Took a picture of a fan. And he just smiled and took the picture with the fan. And that's, like, the last recorded image of Chris Benoit. Autopilot, uh, man. I fully <clears throat> believe that was autopilot. Just like we were talking about with um, the wrestlers wrestling after Owen Hart's death. Yeah. It's like he's going to the <clears throat> doctor's, you know, as a fan, take a picture. You know, this is just what I've done most of my life. This is what, you know, it's just felt normal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, completely. It's just baffling. Um, and then after his death, the the media frenzy. Like I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but like I was, I was living in Canada, so I had like the North American press aspect of this. So like in England, I don't think it was covered at all, was it? It was. It was. It was mentioned. Um, yeah. uh, it was like you know, it would. It was one of those things that would come across the bottom of the screen when you're watching Sky Sports. So yeah. do you know what I mean? Like no yeah. one really talked about it though. Exactly, but like I, I was there for the whole media frenzy of like CNN and getting Chris Jericho and Vince McMahon on. Doctor Drew was there talking about like drug abuse and like the media was so quick before any tests had been done. Like within twenty four hours, it was oh it must be steroids and like the abuse that wrestlers go through. It, it has to be all of this kind of stuff with like no grounding of fact whatsoever. Um, it was just baffling to watch um, seeing that kind of report coming out yeah so and yeah they jumped on that they um, there was some odd new stuff that came out where they said oh yeah and Daniel Benoit the son suffered from a condition known as Fragile X and um, there was needle marks where Benoit had been injecting him with um, like hormones and stuff all is complete bollocks it's been proved now that is all just completely made up by the media there was Daniel didn't have any um any physical defects there was no needle marks he didn't have anything unusual in his system other than a sedative that Benoit had given him just before he killed him to basically knock him out you know there was nothing sort of long term or anything that was in his system um it's just media frenzy and the steroid stuff um yes Chris Benoit was on steroids um they reckon um on his autopsy he had a heart very similar to Eddie Guerrero's and they reckon that he would have lasted another 10 months tops yeah. before he would have had a heart attack like Eddie Guerrero I bet that's very comforting for Nancy's poor family right um uh, but um if only that... Bob Holly had come for that barbecue yeah exactly oh, yeah those t-bone steaks and um <laughs> but we we later found out that like the actual cause was down to cte you know Brit- it's 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 a cocktail i would say it was that and the drugs i don't, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think co- they went well together no but like the cte was um obviously such a huge part and then since then so many wrestlers have kind of donated their, their brains and like football players as well to kind of look at this chronic traumatic um damage that happens so in the decade that kind of followed um this this broadcast by espn which was called outside the lines um they found out that uh, it was dr umalu claims that benoit had a brain that resembled an 85 year old with alzheimer's um which 
kind of has this kind of connotation to it so in the decade that followed um that brock that broadcast so they did post-mortem brain research on numerous deceased wrestlers diagnosed findings consistent with cte so the wrestlers diagnosed with cte in post-mortem research include people like axel rotten balls mahoney jimmy snucker mr fuji and ron bass and two of those names on that list we've already um yeah know about they've done bad shit yeah not not a list um, you want to be in with no so um this was all ran by um this brain sort of looking into wrestlers brains and stuff it was a trust set up by a former wrestler called christopher nowinski who um people might remember who had to retire due to getting too many recussions retire very early um my biggest memory of christopher nowinski is uh, royal rumble 2003 when do you remember this um yes. he gets hit uh, Rey Mysterio and Edge hit him with a double drop kick, both on different turnbuckles, and it's mistimed. So Rey hits him with a drop kick, Edge is late, and Edge basically just full weight lands on Nowinski's head. Do you remember yep. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, rough. Um, but Nowinski, yeah, retired and founded this. Nowinski was sort of shouting about um, the fact that it's a very real thing in wrestling, it's brain trauma, and um, got in touch with Chris Benoit's dad to get hold of Chris Benoit's brain. It was a very brave thing to do. Yeah. And um, did it and got it. But going back to Carneyism and stuff, um, Nowinski's trust was doing an amazing, an amazing job. Then, guess what? Vince McMahon and WWE donate millions of dollars to the Nowinski Trust. And have we heard from them again? Nope. <laughs> nope. We haven't heard from them. We haven't heard from them doing anything um, about uh, wrestlers' brains because they're now in Vince's pocket. He owns them just like he buys out everyone else who causes him trouble. Yeah. And uh, that's what he's done there as well. Luckily, the NFL has continued to research into CTE and is like doing stuff so people can go to other sources now. But yeah, they did kill off that particular foundation but luckily i think Nowinski did bring enough light into it that a lot of people got on board of it so that's good in a way yes in a way in a way there's good good has kind of come from it but again it is soured by the fact that um Nowinski's trust and stuff were owned by we you know and now um we couldn't smell more of roses right now despite all of this stuff oh they all care the they, they do like wellness protection no chair shots to the head guys no blading we, we've really got to look after you you know it's unbelievable the shit they get away with in terms of like coming out smelling of roses the the, the things we've mentioned in this episode alone and that business is at the forefront of this industry is insane it's crazy it's there's so much crazy dark shit that's happened and the fact that this business can not only survive all of this tragedy and all of this crime um it can it can not only survive it can thrive and be making more money today than it ever has this would be a great episode to end on just (laughs) fuck you burn this shit down yeah fuck you got to five out (laughs) uh yeah the the chris benoit like obviously people know about it and it's something that is in kind of the not just the wrestling mindset but just worldwide like i i can talk to people who don't know wrestling and one of the first things they'll bring up is the chris benoit murder Mm. um there's a book i'd like to recommend i think i've talked about it on the podcast before it's called um ring of hell it's a book all about um the chris benoit tragedy and 
but it covers Chris Benoit's life from childhood through New Japan, WCW. It's essentially a really good biography on Chris Benoit until the last chapter when we all know what happens. But um, it's um, it's got mixed reviews as something about something like this would. Um, but I personally think it, it's a little bit hyperbolic in places, but um, for the most part, it's a very well-written book and um, covers Chris Benoit's career and points out parts of his career where things could have happened that shaped the final weekend of his life um, very accurately and very well. It's a good book. Yeah, definitely. Um, worth, worth a read. I, I'm excited mm. to, to check it out, that's for sure. You should, yeah, it is very good. Um, you, you done on Benoit? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm done. There's a lot more I could talk about, but um, oh, it's, all, can... it's all out there, you know, Every, people can look it up. And yeah. a lot of it's in this book. And um, there's also, there's another podcast as well um, called um, The Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast. Not that we're into pr- promoting other wrestling podcasts, but um, on the 10th anniversary back in 2017 of Benoit's death, um, they did, I think they did three shows and it tots up to about nine hours and they basically just cover um cover every every aspect of the chris benoit tragedy and that's worth a listen if you want to know everything about it and be a uh a, a morbid nerd like i am yeah you thought this was a long depressing podcast yeah, nine that's, hours that's that, that nine hour one is something else but it's uh, it's very interesting yeah unbelievably so um those are Aren't, aren't you people listening glad that you're wrestling fans? <laughs> oh, it's you know, so it's wholesome. Becky two bouts and Seth the champ. Isn't life great? No. Yay! The so blood on those man. titles hands. The blood on those titles, I meant, is just disgusting. There's also, especially those women's titles, there's been all sorts on those titles. <laughs> <laughs> just going to quietly get some new ones. <laughs> and we haven't, like, discussed the mass transit incident. We haven't discussed Jimmy Snooker. There's so much more we could do about... Like dark moments Jerry, Jerry Lawler's heart attack we Jerry um, almost attack. talked about didn't we when yeah. he had that on commentary in 2012 um, is a sort of and that was another sort of yeah the show's going to go on no matter what um, God, thank, look, you know Jerry was alright but it's um, if he wasn't that show still would have gone on wouldn't it oh god yeah I listened to that today because um, I was watching it live when it happened but I listened to it today for the first time since and you, you just hear him kind of like gurgling and almost like a snoring sound as yeah. he's having this heart attack and then Michael Cole is still cut and they, they do a cut where you can see the commentary table and Michael Cole is like looking down at the floor going oh and Titus O'Neil makes the tag oh god my best friend is dying in my arms right yeah. now <laughs> yeah Jesus but, but yeah Jerry was alright which makes it less dark but um, that's why it's not in this list yeah and he's still he's still wrestling and throwing fireballs at people <laughs> Of course he is, because they never learn. These wrestlers they, never learn. They never. It's all they've got. As soon as they don't get that pop from the crowd, they might as well be dead. Yeah, exactly. So that's why they keep putting themselves through this. And uh, Vince McMahon, we've we've done an episode on you on your insanity. I feel like this is the Vince McMahon part two episode. Um, yeah, in many ways, he's um, he's responsible for the vast majority of what we've spoken about. I think like ninety percent of what we spoke about, we mentioned McMahon in at least every paragraph. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think Mueller was the only one that we didn't link back to him, but then we just made it up and added him in anyway, <laughs> just for the lols. Yeah, just we just lied. Yeah. <laughs> so um, thank you for sitting through this episode. Um, Go go watch a bit of Queer Eye. Make the world a happier place. Um, yeah, what just... a nice um, way. What a nice subject to return to our long form on. <laughs> 
Yeah, we uh, really topped this one. So on our next episode, we'll have... uh, Let's go back to short for the next one. It'll be a happy subject. Maybe masked wrestlers. They're fun and colourful for the kids. Um, They're fun. Um, Yeah, masked guys. I can't think of any masked wrestlers that have died off the top of my head. That's good. Maybe maybe masks are a good luck charm. No, when well, when Ray killed uh, what's his name? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah, uh, Perro Aguayo Junior. Yep. Yeah. He uh, drop kicked him into the rope, and his neck snapped, and the match continued. The match, yeah. Well, yeah, for a bit, but um, yeah, man, that was that was brutal. Um, Ray was a pallbearer as well for him um, at the funeral. Which Be a was bit of a lopsided very coffin. Uneven. <laughs> we went for the exact same joke. <laughs> slight 90 degree angle <laughs> oh, no. it's, it's always good to leave them laughing as they say so. make them laugh <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us we hope you enjoyed this episode we really enjoyed doing it in a weird way because it's fascinating this side of wrestling so um, if you didn't know this welcome to the world of wrestling and uh, please come back in two weeks time where we'll do something a little bit more fun and uh, yeah all the best make sure you go check us out on Twitter at GotTill5 but also head over to the website which is GotTill5.com oh he's mixing it up with his delivery Uh, as I said the next episode will be a short form we've also got Gary Ward joining us from WrestleGate Pro so make sure you tune into that because we're going to get all the dirt and we're going to blackmail him into giving us an interview with Pac yes we need to do that (laughs) <laughs> oh we will so hello t- Pack. <laughs> nice to meet you you bastard hello mr pack oh he's a big boy so thank you for joining us we'll see you in two weeks time make sure you subscribe leave five star reviews leave comments on this episode if we missed any details about it or any changes and Please. yeah thank you so much for joining us until next time i've been max curden you I've are i've been jesse Benz as me love doing this good night and goodbye Bye.